Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans and how precious it is, how it grounds us in proper doctrine, Lord, that we so desperately need today. Lord, help us uh, have what you would have us to learn today through your word, Lord. And Lord, we especially just want to lift up Diana Clausen to you this morning and uh, ask for your grace and mercy in her life, Lord, as she uh, is struggling with this uh, brain cancer that is just very debilitating, Lord, and we just ask your mercy on her. Lord, we thank you for all you'll do. In Christ's name, amen. Well, it's been said uh, that we wouldn't know what uh, good is without bad, what heat is without cold, for example, uh, what uh, light is without dark. In other words, uh, to experience good, its opposite has to exist. Uh, bad has to exist in order for us to understand good. Uh, I recently reread Jonathan Edwards' uh, famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, uh, if you haven't read that sermon, that ought to be on, at the very top of your reading list. Uh, I don't know that I've ever read anything more sobering in my entire life. Uh, the book is about, the sermon's about 65 pages in the booklet that I have. And Edward spent the first 60 pages uh, railing against the sin of man and uh, explaining why we deserve the judgment that we deserve. And then only in the last five pages uh, does he uh, talk about the grace that is available through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, but the reason why the sermon is so effective is because uh, we will never truly understand how uh, amazing God's grace is uh, until we understand our desperate need for it and how astonishing grace is because we need it because of this sinful condition uh, that we find ourselves in. Uh, and we have to understand God's wrath against sin if we're going to really understand what the grace of God is. Well, last week we went over verses 16 and 17, and that's a uh, the beginning of Paul's exposition of what the gospel actually is. And we might expect from verses 16 and 17 uh, that he would use that kind of as a launching point uh, to do a, a full discussion, exposition of the whole good news of the gospel. But instead, he turns now to what makes the gospel necessary, the reason why we have to have the gospel, uh, which is the pervasiveness and the universality of man's sin. Now remember, as we come to this book of Romans, Paul is writing to believers here, right? These are believers in Rome who have received the gospel. They believe that Jesus Christ is their Savior who died on the cross for their sins. Uh, but Paul didn't know these Roman Christians. And remember we said in the introduction that he's, he's writing to these Roman Christians, but he's also writing this Christian manifesto uh, for the world if he happened to be killed uh, around any bend, which certainly could have happened to him. But this church that he was writing to, they had different levels of maturity, just like any church body would have, right? Different levels of understanding and depth of their knowledge of the gospel. And so Paul set out to explain this gospel in full detail uh, to these people. So when Paul writes, you know, we can read his writing and sometimes it's so terse and, and the language can be awfully harsh. You think he's really angry at the people he's writing to half the time, but we know that, that Paul wasn't angry at these Romans because we read the first few verses and Paul had just given thanks uh, for their faith and how their faith was being talked about uh, around the world. Uh, so he's not angry at them. In fact, all he wants to do is, is explain to them what the gospel is and to explain the need for the gospel. And it never hurts to hear it again, uh, which is why I stand up here and preach it to you every Sunday, even though I know that you already know it. Uh, it's a good thing to hear the gospel. It refreshes our souls. 
And so uh, Paul is going to return to the theme of God's righteousness uh, as we get into chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, but in between now and then, he's going to do a full exposition about why we need the gospel, uh, why this gospel of God is so necessary, uh, because everyone is, is uh, under sin. Everyone deserves the wrath of God. So in the next uh, few passages, what we're going to see uh, is that depraved Gentiles are guilty of sin. Uh, those who have not believed and uh, they will face God's wrath. We see that in verses 18 to 32. Everyone with a conscience is guilty of sin, chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. The Jews are guilty of sin, chapter 2, verse 17 to 3, 8. And then finally, uh, just to be sure he hasn't missed anybody, the whole world is guilty of sin, uh, verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 9 to 20. And so what we see is that the entire world is in desperate need of God's grace and righteousness because of the depth and depravity of human sin. Well, scholars agree that uh, Paul was uh, writing particularly about unbelieving Gentiles in this passage from chapter uh, 1, verse 18 to 32. But he doesn't specifically mention the Gentiles in these verses. So I just want to take a minute to, to show you why uh, the, the scholars agree that he's talking to Gentiles here. Uh, the first reason is that his topic is natural revelation rather than the law. Now, the Jews had the law, of course, the Gentiles didn't, but God makes himself known to the Gentiles through natural revelation. And natural revelation is simply God revealing himself through what you can see in nature. And so that's the topic of this particular section in Romans. The Gentiles were responsible for what they could know about God from what they could see in nature. And secondly, we know that Paul was talking to Gentiles here because in 2.17, when he points his arrow at the Jews, he specifically names the Jews there and contrasts them uh, with the Gentiles. Uh, so for the next two weeks, uh, as we go through verses 18 to 32, we're going to be talking about the sin of unbelieving Gentiles and what caused them particularly to be under the wrath of God. So let's look now at the revelation of God's wrath as we get to verse 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Well, the wrath of God, uh, that is most certainly a fearful thing. Uh, the Greek word for wrath is this word orge. Uh, and some of uh, your translations that you carry may have the word anger there instead of wrath. Uh, you may have wrath, uh, but the word means anger or strong indignation against wrongdoing. Uh, and the reason why a lot of our Bibles retain the word wrath is because anger kind of connotes human anger. When we think of anger, we think about it in terms of, of human anger. And the reason why uh, that's kind of different than God's wrath is because human anger is an emotion. It's a response to something that is done to us, some wrong that has been uh, perpetrated against us. And uh, when we are offended by somebody, we tend to rise up in anger. Uh, and since we are sinful creatures, our response is most typically sinful. Uh, that's why Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount that if you are angry against your brother, that is equivalent to murder. We studied those verses uh, not long ago because our anger is never holy and righteous. There's always something self-serving or vengeful about our anger. Uh, but God's wrath is not like human anger. Uh, since God is not a sinful creature, a sinful human creature, uh, his wrath cannot be sinful. It's never self-serving. His wrath is always just. It's holy and it's right. 
and we deserve his wrath because we have sinned against him. And so God's wrath is not an emotion. It's not an emotion like a human emotion. It's his natural a revulsion and hatred and abhorrence of the sin that he sees in the world because it is so antithetical to his nature and character that is holy and righteous. Uh, and so his wrath is totally consistent with his love. And in fact, it's an expression of his love. Uh, if any of you have children or grandchildren, you know uh, that if they do something wrong, something harmful, your first response is not to go give them a high five, right? That's not what you're going to do. If you love your kids, you're going to invest the time and the effort that is necessary to correct their behavior before they do something worse or continue in that same behavior that is going to result in some great harm to them. So we, we correct and we discipline because we love. And so God's wrath is the same. It's just the flip side of the same coin of God's love. And God can show his wrath in many ways. He can actively intervene in the world. And we've seen that as we, as we read through the Genesis account. We can read about the flood. We can read about God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, where he actually intervenes in nature and does, shows his wrath through nature. Uh, but he can also allow people uh, to, to, uh, to sh he can show his wrath by allowing people to suffer the consequences of their sin. And we see that in these verses, verses 18 to 32, where he just allows people uh, to suffer the consequences that naturally result from our sin. And of course, God's ultimate expression of wrath was when he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ on the cross for each one of our sins. And so many ways that God can show his wrath. Well, you all know that there are a lot of believer or unbelievers who don't like this notion of God's wrath. They won't subscribe to God's wrath. They, they like to invent their own God where they cherry pick all the attributes of God that they like, like his love and his mercy and his goodness and all of these things. Uh, but they won't subscribe to a God of wrath. They don't believe that, that God uh, would perpetrate wrath against uh, any of uh, his people. And they just refuse to accept God's wrath. Well, our answer to that, of course, is that God cannot be a God of goodness, love, mercy, if he's not also a God of justice and wrath. Uh, if he tolerates human sin uh, and, and the, the things that we do to each other, well, then he's not a God of goodness and mercy and justice and righteousness particularly. And when we think about God's attributes, his holiness and his righteousness and his justice are the things that can comfort us in a world that is just contaminated by evil. Uh, we don't know why God allows the evil that he does oftentimes, but what we do know is that God promises to make all things right. And when God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, we can trust that promise. And so uh, if, we didn't, uh, if we didn't have the ability to rely on God's justice and his righteousness to make all things right, we would have a hard time living in this world where people wrong us all the time. But because God says, I am a God of righteousness, a God of justice and wrath, uh, we can leave uh, these injustices that are perpetrated against us to God, knowing that he will make things right one day. Well, we often think of the wrath of God as something that only happens at end times, right? When the day of the Lord comes and, and uh, Jesus comes back to judge all of his enemies, and we read about that in the book of Revelation, but uh, there is a present wrath that God uh, has as well. Uh, God uh, presently, uh, today, leaves people to the consequences of, their of his wrath when, 
For example, they persist in sexual sin, for an example, or substance abuse as another example, or many other examples that we could name uh, right here. Uh, but sin seems fun for a time, and that's why we do sin, right? It's fun for a period of time. We can't deny that, but the, sin, uh, the, the bill for sin always comes due uh, sooner or later. And God's wrath is shown in the consequences that come to us as we persist in these sins that show itself, God's wrath that shows itself over time. But his wrath is both for correction and for punishment, and it's holy and it is good. And so there is the revelation of the wrath of God. But there are also reasons for God's wrath uh, and the first reason for God's wrath is that unbelievers suppress God's truth. Uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the first reason is that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Um, we read these words, uh, ungodliness, which is man's failure to worship, his failure to revere God. And then unrighteousness, which is man's sin against each other. Of course, we know that all sin is a sin against God. But uh, Paul was using these two words, I think, ungodliness and unrighteousness, as kind of a catch-all so that no sin could fall out of uh, what God is going to punish people for. And Paul accused these unbelieving Gentiles of suppressing the truth. Now, it's hard to believe that it's been a week already uh, since this Kobe Bryant tragedy happened uh, as he... Uh, and his daughter and seven others were killed in a helicopter crash outside of Los Angeles just a week ago already. And that happened to be the same night that the Grammy Awards were going to be uh, scheduled to happen at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. And so uh, that afternoon, uh, so many people came out to the Staples Center and people who were coming to the Grammys were, were there already. And uh, the, the familiar refrain among all of these people who were there uh, and the people on social media and the celebrities that were being interviewed on television were that, uh, I just can't believe this. I can't believe that Kobe is gone. I can't believe his daughter is gone. And so uh, that was not a suppression of the truth. That was just a failure to believe, uh, just being so stunned and astonished that we can't believe uh, that such a thing has happened. And so uh, that's one kind of unbelief. It's just a failure to come to grips or be willing or wanting to accept the facts of what has actually happened. But as we've also seen this week, as the second week of Donald Trump's impeachment trial uh, has come to an end, what have we seen? We've seen these Democrats and these Republicans accusing each other of suppressing truth over these past several months. Uh, the Democrats have, have accused the Republicans of, of suppressing the truth by not allowing them to call witnesses at the Senate trial. And now Republicans, of course, counter by saying, well, look, you guys had this investigation in the House of Representatives that you did, and we weren't allowed to present witnesses or cross-examine your witnesses. You guys are the ones who suppressed the truth. And so you have each side saying that the other side suppressed the truth. And that's just politics. Uh, but there's a vast difference between not wanting to come to grips with the truth of something and actually suppressing the truth of something, uh, as these politicians have been accusing each other of over the past couple months. Uh, the unbelieving Gentiles that Paul was uh, railing against here actually were suppressing the truth in an active way. They were purposely suppressing the truth about what they could know about God from creation. And they suppressed their tr the truth because of their unrighteousness, which is another way of saying that they rejected God. And so the first reason that these uh, unbelievers would face the wrath of God was because they suppressed the truth. 
The second reason is that they ignored God's revelation, verses 19 to 20. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Well, what is this truth that these wicked men suppress? It's that God can be known by what can be seen in nature. Uh, and so these wicked men suppress it or they ignore it and they live as if there is no God because they don't want to be held accountable for the knowledge that they have. You know, uh, when I was an atheist, I could look up into the night sky and I could see the billions of stars uh, and I could attribute that to nothing except the Big Bang Theory with no God behind it. And I could look at a newborn baby or I could look at the flowers blooming in the springtime and attribute that to the natural processes of life and, and evolution. Uh, even the birth of my own kids did not change my own hardened heart uh, about uh, what I could see in nature. Uh, now, Molly looked at all these things and she saw God's handiwork in every one of these things. But uh, we both had the same right? But I actively was suppressing the truth. And that's what we do. Uh, as a believer converted later in life, I now fully believe that every atheist knows God from what can be seen in nature. Uh, the NASB says that, uh, that what can be known about God uh, is, is within them. In other words, God has planted this knowledge in them, uh, which we uh, can see by our knowledge of, uh, knowledge of right and wrong, knowledge of the moral law. Where does this come from except from God? Uh, we can know by our reason that God exists. Uh, so Paul's point is that everyone has the same evidence available to them, but some people suppress the truth. The unbelievers suppress and ignore the truth that God exists because they just don't want to admit it. Because when you admit that God exists uh, and that you're accountable to him, that means that you have to engage in life change, behavior change, and people don't want to do that. Well, think about some of the truth that men suppress today. We could go on and on here, but... Uh, think about the debate about the abortion issue, for example. Uh, you, have, uh, you have people who could look at a six-week-old fetus, and, and you can look at that sonogram, and you can say, this is a human being. And then you have other people who can look at that same thing and deny somehow that that is a human being. And they can say that it's just a clump of cells with a, with a potential for life. Uh, and you know that Planned Parenthood has been actively trying to uh, stop any pro-life attempts to uh, ask women to, to look at the sonogram before they uh, go ahead with their abortion because they know that a woman is much more likely to go forward with the abortion if they don't get a picture of their sonogram. And so Planned Parenthood knows that abortion is big business and so they don't want you to see the sonogram uh, and so they are actively suppressing the truth about what can be known through nature. Uh, another example is the uh, evolution versus creation debate that's been going on now for 160 years since Darwin published his evolution, evolution of uh, species. And beginning in the 1960s, uh, schools have now outlawed teaching creation intelligent design in schools. And the only legal teaching now uh, is teaching about uh, evolution. 
And so this is true even though, uh, of, even though the lack of proof in the fossil record completely discredits uh, evolution. Uh, Darwin himself said his theory would stand or fall based on whether the fossil record bore out his theory of evolution. And because it hasn't, his adherents now have had to come up with new theories that uh, try to explain the lack of evidence in the fossil record. Uh, so there is no evidence that species have evolved into other species. There are lots of different kinds of dogs, but don't, dogs don't become horses, right? We, we know that. Uh, most recently, uh, advances in how we understand the, the biology of the cell and the mapping of the human genome should be the death of evolution. But uh, I'm no biologist, but in my understanding, the cell contains DNA, which is the instructions for how that cell is going to develop. And I've never heard an explanation that makes sense to me about how that cell can acquire information that's new to that cell that would uh, allow it to evolve into something beyond what it already is. Uh, so uh, it just doesn't exist. And, and so when we think about evolution, we ask other questions, like how can evolution explain our moral compasses? Uh, how can we call anything good or bad or right or wrong unless God has put something inside of us uh, so that we know uh, what is good and bad, what is right or wrong? Why do we agree that the Holocaust is universally evil? Uh, why do we agree that evil should be punished? Why don't animals have this same sense of morality? Well, it's because God has planted this within us so that we know uh, that we are from God because God has given us this knowledge of what is right and wrong and he's given us this moral compass. It did not evolve over millions of years. And so scientists uh, who deny God and intelligent design uh, and insist on godless uh, evolution are suppressing the truth and God will hold them responsible. Uh, God makes his invisible attributes visible in nature. And we can see by looking at nature that God is obviously very intelligent, right? Uh, he's very precise. Uh, he is very organized. We can see all of these things in nature. And we can also see how he provides for us. He gives us food. He gives us water and unseen things like oxygen and things that hold the world together like the magnetic field and gravity. Uh, God has graciously provided all of these things to us. And the more we understand his creation, the more uh, we will be held responsible for what we know. And the result is going to be that people are without excuse. We will never be able to stand before God and say, oh, I didn't know. Why didn't you reveal yourself to me? God has revealed himself to us in creation. God is self-evident in creation. Now, all of this is not to say that we can be saved by natural revelation. It takes more than natural revelation to save us. But natural revelation is enough to convict us if we don't respond rightly to the information that we have. Uh, natural revelation convicts us, but it also gives us enough information to go further, to seek God out uh, from what we can know about creation. And one of the most common objections to Christianity is, as you know, what about those who have never heard? And Paul's answer is that everyone knows enough from nature to be able to know at least that God exists. And God uses this information to draw people to himself. And it's then their responsibility to act rightly, respond rightly by seeking him based on the evidence that they have. And God provides a way uh, for people who are responding rightly to his word uh, to hear the gospel. And we saw that several times when we studied the book of Acts. We saw it with uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We saw it with Peter and Cornelius. We saw it with the Philippian jailer. 
But as we'll learn in Romans chapter 10, we still have a great need for evangelism and we still have a great need for missionaries. These are God's means to bring the gospel to the people of the world who are seeking him and searching for God. And it's our privilege to be able to uh, cooperate with God and what he's doing in the world uh, and uh, with his desire to reach the lost. So these unbelievers are experiencing God's wrath because they suppress the truth, they ignore revelation, and finally, because they fail to honor him. Verses 21 to 23. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Well, obedience should follow knowledge, but in the case of these unbelieving Gentiles, uh, it didn't. They, they knew from their eyes what they could see in nature, uh, but they still rejected him. And so Paul says that they are without excuse. And so they're under God's wrath because they have rejected truth. They didn't honor God and they didn't worship him. And so the same is true with people today. We know that God is presenting himself to people today, and we each have a choice to make. Uh, are we going to receive God, or are we going to reject God? And that choice will determine our eternity. And for those who have rejected God, they become futile in their speculations. Uh, this word futile means uh, empty, uh, pointless, uh, worthless, and speculations means uh, thinking. So their thinking is futile, pointless, vain. Uh, and that's what happens when we reject God. Uh, whenever we reject God, we put something else on the throne that belongs to God. We put ourselves on God's throne. And then we become the sole source of our own wisdom. Uh, and we become rebels against God when we do that. Well, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the opposite, the opposite of that is also true. The rejection of God is the beginning of foolishness. And apart from God, our search for meaning and purpose in life is futile. We are futile in our speculations when that is our approach. And once people reject God, they find themselves on this slippery slope uh, you know, downward into all kinds of foolishness and sin, as these verses through verse 32 are going to tell us. And the first thing that happens is that their foolish hearts become darkened. Now, in Greek thought, the heart was the seat of all emotions. It's the place where decisions are made and direction of our lives is chosen. So when we say heart, we're talking about the whole human person, heart, soul, mind, and body. And Paul's point was that uh, without having your heart right with God, people become foolish in their thinking, uh, feeling, and decision-making. And the entire human body and the whole human being is negatively affected by this failure to respond rightly to God. And the amazing thing is, is that the more foolish we become, the smarter we think we are. Have you ever noticed that in people that you're talking to? Uh, it's amazing. Uh, they are so smart. In fact, their intelligence becomes a stumbling block to God. Uh, but the Bible says that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And you know people, all of you do, who are too smart for their own good. Uh, their intelligence should be, uh, they should easily be able to see the existence of God because they're so smart. But instead, uh, they substitute their reason for the reasons for faith. 
and their intelligence becomes a stumbling block to God. Uh, they believe that, their, that, that faith is just a crutch for the weak and the foolish and the helpless. And in their own pride and their own self-sufficiency, they have no need for God and they reject him. And their wisdom causes them to become fools. Now, this Greek word uh, for become fools is very interesting. It's the same word that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he was talking about salt that becomes uh, a salt uh, without salty taste. He says, uh, how, if, when salt becomes tasteless, how can it be made salty again? Uh, the Greek word is this word moraino. Uh, mora what, what English word do you think we get from that? Moron, yeah. Now, that is a very derogatory word in the English language, but in Greek thought, it only means that you're being emptied of something. Uh, for salt, it lost its saltiness. Uh, for these folks, uh, they thought they were wise, but they were being emptied of their wisdom. But what do we know about man? Man is born to worship something, right? Man is going to worship something. Something will be on the throne. Man abhors a vacuum in his objects of worship. And if it's not going to be God, he's going to put something else on the throne. And for us, uh, self can be an idol. Uh, that happens all the time. But there are other things that we can make idols out of too. Money, uh, social media, work, golf, fitness, grades, Anything that you put on the throne in place of God becomes an idol in our lives. Uh, for Paul's audience, it was statues. Uh, they made these statues. And uh, notice how they descend in value. First, they're making statues of man, and then birds, and then four-footed animals, and then crawling creatures. They're, they're making stone bugs, and they're worshiping them. Uh, that is fascinating to me. I, I, Having been an atheist, I can understand believing in nothing, but I cannot understand worshiping a bug that you made with your own hands out of stone. That makes no sense to me. Uh, but the pattern is that this sin will uh, take us further and further down into debauchery and further away from God. And the, the contrast is between this majestic glory of God that they reject and worshiping a, a thing that they've created with their own hands and replace the glory of God uh, with that and they embrace that. So how foolish it is to reject the glory of God for such worthless idols. So uh, we've seen the revelation of God's wrath and we've seen the reasons for God's wrath and next week we're going to see uh, the results of God's wrath. We will see that because of their persistent sin, God gave them over and we'll talk about everything that that means next week. Uh, the good news for us is that we have not rejected Jesus and God has made himself known to us and we have received his Savior. We have received the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said last week, it's the best transaction we could ever make. We give over our sin to him. We receive his righteousness. It's credited to us uh, and that exists for all present uh, and future sin even. What a great deal that we get. But the bad news is that there are lots of people that you know who still have not received this gospel. They've rejected Christ and they've allowed themselves or some idol to sit on the throne that is God's throne in their own hearts. And so let's think about some applications. How can we, can, we can apply these things to our lives today? Well, the first thing that we ought to remember is that the problem is not lack of information. It's the sin of rebellion and pride. God has graciously given us all the information we need to know that he exists both in nature and as we're going to see in the coming weeks in our consciences, in the law, in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, unbelievers reject him not because they don't know enough, 
but because they don't want to know. And they don't want to know because once you know, you are responsible and you are accountable to God for the knowledge that you have. And then you have to remove yourself from the throne and you have to put God on that throne and you have to change your life and your behavior. And the prouder we are, the harder that is to do. And even believers struggle with this, right? Do you ever struggle with putting God on the throne of your life and taking yourself off the throne? Uh, I struggle with that all the time. It's hard to do. Uh, but rebellion and pride are formidable, formidable obstacles for anyone uh, to become a Christian. So for our unbelieving family and friends, let's remember to ask God to break through that sin of rebellion and pride. He has the power to do it, and we know that because he did it for you and he did it for me. So the problem is not lack of information. It's the sin of rebellion and pride. Secondly, uh, don't confuse knowledge with wisdom. We live in this incredible information age now, right, where you can Google anything, anything, and you can have the information at your fingertips in literally a split second. Uh, this information that we can acquire gives us knowledge, but it does not necessarily give us wisdom. Wisdom comes from recognizing that God exists, that he is the creator of all things, and that we are subject to him, and that he has the right to rule over us. Uh, people can accumulate all the knowledge in the world, but that knowledge does not make them wise if they don't recognize who God is. Uh, it only makes them fools if they don't recognize who God is and bow down and worship him. So it is wise to worship God. It is wise to honor God and give him thanks. And worship is the only appropriate response before God. So don't confuse knowledge with wisdom. Wisdom leads us to worship the one true God. Knowledge can take us in the other direction. And finally, consider why God has revealed himself. Can we ever truly fathom that the God of all creation wants to have a personal relationship with us because he loves us? God's revelation of himself uh, through nature is just one way that he draws people to himself. He has also given us his word, and most importantly, he has given us his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And we have no excuses. He reveals his righteousness and his wrath for the same reason. It's because of his great love for us. And that love should make us want to put God first, uh, to share his love with others, and to join him in the work that he is doing in our neighborhoods and around the world. And I pray this morning that God's love for us does those things. So let's go and ask God to uh, make these things real in our hearts. Lord God, we thank you for this incredibly convicting passage. Uh, Lord, we acknowledge that we do from time to time remove you from the throne and put our own idols on the throne. And we recognize, Lord, that we are worthy of your wrath and your judgment. But Lord, we are so thankful for your grace. Without grace, Lord, uh, we would be doomed and we would be damned. But we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross for our sins, Lord, so that we who believe in him are forgiven of our sins, and we have eternal life, Lord. Thank you for your grace that exists side by side with your justice, Lord. Uh, thank you, and help us to uh, teach these things to a world that desperately needs to hear them. We pray these things in Christ's name, Lord. Amen.